God, we love you so much. We thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that out of your love, Lord, you sent your only son, Jesus, Lord, that we could know you, or that we could be saved, or that we could have a new name, that we could have a new identity. We're no longer, um, we're no longer known as sinners, but saints. We're no longer rebels and orphans and outcasts, but we are adopted as sons and daughters, and we belong, and, and we do not have to fear. And so, God, I just pray for this morning as we, as we continue to move through this introductory section of, of uh, Paul's letter Lord, that we would just uh, be encouraged, we would be challenged, and we would be compelled to run hard after you, to, to open up our lives to your truth, and Lord, that your work would be complete in us for your glory, God. So I pray right now that you would take my words or catch them aflame by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there is no other hope for us in this time today unless that happens. So speak through me or in spite of me, whatever must happen, Lord, for you to be glorified and us to be changed for your glory. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 1. We'll also have passages on the screen for you. There's a Bible underneath the chair if you need a Bible. Uh, and if you don't have one at all, please take that with you. We would love for that to be our gift to you. And if you happen to use the YouVersion Bible app, uh, if you go to more, click events, we'll pop up uh, and you can click on the Bridge Montrose and there'll be some, all the text that we refer to, some quotes, as well as some questions to help you study further. Um, so, so Romans 1, 8 through 17 is our text today. So uh, there is definitely something to get our attention today. Today's sermon will cover the two verses that lay out the entire theme of this letter. These two verses that, that, that bring to light the entire foundational doctrinal concepts, if you will, that Paul's letter works through. And just the, the truth of, of salvation, the truth of the work of the gospel in Christ. And, and it really sets up the entire letter from here. We'll find that in verses 16 and 17, which we'll get to in a minute. But before we get there, we're going to start looking at verses 8 through 15. And, and, and really, it's all about 16 and 17 today. Uh, these verses 8 through 15, we're going to kind of put this in the category as we cover it because since we're still kind of doing this general teaching, knowing that so much of what's presented here is going to be unpacked in great detail through Paul's letter. So these verses 8 through 15, it's kind of this category of, we're going to look at what Paul is, is teaching in the category of like what's caught and not taught. Just looking at some of the things he's saying, how we can kind of glean from. Because again, we're going to unpack these concepts in full later. So here we go, kind of looking at some of the things that, that Paul is just throwing out there in general and making sure that we latch on to a few things for us. We're going to start in verse 8. So Romans 1 it says, first, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And I want to stop there. Uh, one, just to highlight, you know, first he says, I want to thank God through Jesus Christ. And Paul is just calling great attention to the fact that if there is any encouragement, any fellowship that we share, any affection for one another, and this is straight from Philippians 2, by the way, this is all because of Christ because of the work of Christ redeeming and reconciling. He reconciled every bit of relationship first between us and God and what was fractured in our sin, between us and creation, and between us and one another. And so he's saying that my thankfulness, every bit of belonging that I have to you is, is, is through Jesus. And so I love that this just kind of sets us in motion, and we're going to kind of cap off with this as well. But he says, for all of you, because your faith 
is proclaimed in all the world. And, and I, am a, I am like a forward movement, forward thinking guy. And because of that, I often miss out on the chance to celebrate. I'm like, I'll, like well, I'll have some big thing in my life or some big kind of goal that we're running after and we'll see it happen. And I, and, and I often make the mistake of, of just like, okay, that's great. Now what's next? And so I just want to stop and pause. And like Paul did, just to speak of my, of my gratefulness and to speak of, of what there is to celebrate. Because they say what, what's, what you celebrate is what you repeat. Who is they? I don't know, but I've heard them say they say it. And so they say that and it's true. But so thinking about what we have, I just want to stop and, I, and, I, and, and notice that what Paul is praising, he is praising God's faithfulness and what he has heard about the people in Rome. So an important question in every endeavor is how do we define success? This is one of them, this is one of the most important questions. And, and as we think about what Paul's saying, this is one of the most important markers of success that we can hope for in the church, and specifically in our church, and this is what I want to praise God for, is that as I look at you guys, as I look at our church, I mean, our, our church is so imperfect, and I love that it's imperfect, but and our aspiration is that we would be known for our love, we would be known for our faithfulness, but it's also so much of our reality. I, I mean, I I have never seen a grouping of people in this. I've never seen a group of people more intentional with their lives, more sincere in their love, more, more personal in the way that they think about things and they think about people. And so I just, I just want to call attention to that and praise God for his faithfulness, express my gratefulness for you. And, and, and we aspire to have a good reputation, but not for our sake, but for the glory of God. And I will say over and over again, I've seen this, I've experienced this. I have friends come into town and they visit the bridge and they always say, gosh, man, there's something special. There's something unique about, your, about the people God has, has called together. There's something, there's something different. And oftentimes, like, we lack words because we're, we're kind of stuck with the words we know. And we say, well, they're loving. Well, they're sacrificial. They're, 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 they're caring. And, and, you know, you kind of want those to be markers of the church, but it's just expressed in a unique way. And so I, I hear it all the time from people to come to visit. They see something different. I, I hear it from the community as, I, as we've been kind of in Montrose for a few years now, and, and, and whether it's talking to other, other uh, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, and they, they, all, I just, they always say, you know, I, I hear things are going great at the bridge. And what I love is that I know that they're not talking about kind of earthly measures of success. Like, because we're, we're simple, and we're not flashy, and we're not, like, over the top with all that. And so they're talking about, like, this, well, I don't know, I don't often get the specifics but I know that what they're talking about is, is just some unique expression of people that care for people and they hold out the love of Christ. And then I just, I hear stories all the time of just of how you care for one another and you care for your neighbors. I mean, you know, we just came through Harvey and over and over again hearing of people opening up their homes and taking, I mean, our people, they just took action right away before we could ever even say, hey, here's what we should do. It was like, oh, you're doing this. Okay, let's support that. And, but you hear people like the, the Owsleys, Caleb, your, your parents are here, and they're, they're staying with the Robinsons, right? Like that's just a really cool like little picture, and it's simple, but it's such, a, such an encouragement to the Owsleys, and you hear of it going from those kind of just personal things to the, the real works of, uh, you know, the, the, the different works of grace and love. And so I just, I just want to look at you 
in the eye, and, and, and not as any special person, but just as a brother to you, and tell you that I am grateful, and to tell you that I love you. And, and, it's, and it is such a gift to be called together as we are in this time, in this life. And so, thank you. As Paul celebrates God's faithfulness through what he's heard about the people in Rome, I, I celebrate what I see and hear of your faithfulness as God works in his grace through you. And I'm grateful for the way that, as best as I can tell, that we have favor among our community. We have people of good cheer, even if they don't know us. And so it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to celebrate. We talk a lot about what we should be, and that's because we are, we are hungry for the glory of God in our lives. We're hungry for the gospel, the good news of Jesus to shine through, and I don't want us to miss on the glorious work that God is already doing in us. And, and so, so thank you, I love you, and, and I, I just resound, I just re, it's resounding what Paul is saying. So there you go. Romans 1.8, that took longer, but it was, I think, worth it. So Romans 1, 9 through 12, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraging by each other's faith both yours and mine. So Paul's speaking of this desire to come to them. Again, he's never been there. He's done, he, he, he has been a leader that's this built up leaders that maybe have gone there, but he's never been there. He's heard of their work and he wants to go. So he's just sharing this great affection and this desire to come see them. And, and Paul, Paul knows that he's a part of what God is doing through Christ in Rome. He knows that he has somehow played a role. He feels responsible, even if it's just as one that Christ appointed as a leader of the church. But he also, he wants to be a part of it directly. He's, he's got this desire to see it with his own eyes. Paul wants to be an encouragement to them. As you see, he said, I want to come to you and impart to you some encouragement. And, and that's not surprising when you think of a dynamic leader. I mean, Paul was dynamic. He was influential. He wrote most of the New Testament. He, was, he, he, he is responsible for so much of what we, we know in the early church. He's a dynamic, dynamic leader, so it's not surprising to hear him say, I want to come to you personally and be an encouragement to you. And, and, and we would all, if he were to say that to us, say, yes, please come. That's great. We want you to come. We need you to come. We need your teaching. We need, we, we need your experience. We want to learn from you as people who are sincere in our desires in this world and, 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 and for the gospel. But do you see what else is there? You see what else he said? What did he follow that up with in verse 12? He said that we, and this is like Paul clarifying. He's like, he's like, he's like he stops. He has this moment in his writing. He's like, wait, I need to make this clear because I don't want them just to be like depending on me like as if, I'm, if, as if I have all the answers. He says, but that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So it's not just that he is going to come and be an encouragement, be the life giver, whatever, be the, 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 the wise, you know, all-knowing sage. He's like, I, I want to come be an encouragement to you as, as I impart the truth and grace that God has given me in Christ. But also, I know that I will be encouraged by you. I know that it will be a life-giving thing to me. And, and guys, this is the church. 
This is it. This is the picture. This is the priesthood of believers, as Peter put it in 1 Peter, his letter. You know, this is the idea that it's not just the pastoral staff or the appointed leaders that do everything. It's that all who are in Christ have been created uniquely, gifted uniquely by the Holy Spirit, called out uniquely. And as you've heard us, if you've been here before, we say it all the time, like where you are, where I am weak, you are strong. Where you are weak, you know, Jason is strong. And, and, and where Jason is weak, you know, Chris is strong. And, and it just goes. And then where, where Chris is weak, Megan is strong. I have to make sure to get, you know, a good representation. But, but this is the beautiful picture of the church, and Paul knows it, and he is a revered leader. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees before he came to Christ, so he was already respected, and now he is one of the most influential people, and, and he's saying, I want, I want to come so I can encourage you, but also that you will encourage me. This is who we are. Yes, I, we have elders of our church. We have five of us that we feel like God has appointed to lead our church only as we follow Christ. We are steward leaders. We have a leadership structure in place. We have Karen and Rebecca. And starting tomorrow, Andy Dong on staff. Hey, all right. Yeah, it's quite exciting. A little freebie there. But, but that's not like, you know, if we're going to think about how the bridge is going to be effective and how we're going to teach and how we're going to equip and how we're going to get things done, like that's a very limited resource. Like, yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we've been called by God, but that's still such a limited resource. Like the, the beauty and the giftedness and the power and the, the effectiveness of the church is really about all of us expressing those unique ways and strengths and abilities together. And so you say, well, I don't know if I have anything to give. I'm going to come back to my favorite reference in John 9 of the blind man who was healed by Jesus. And the Pharisees are mad and they're like, hey, like who did this to you? Who did this for you? We want to know. And he's like, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't know who this guy is really. What I know is that I was blind and now I can see. And that's the picture of like that I just want to invite all of us into once again. That regardless, if you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he has done a work in you, you have the opportunity to impart to others what has been done for you. And you get to learn, you get to lead, and you get to teach, and you get to serve while you're learning, while you're growing, while you're being transformed. So this is the beauty of the reality of the church. Like I already said, it is in Christ, only through Christ, that any of this is possible. As we started in verse 8, it's not, just, it's not just about, again, what we do as the few, but it's about what we do together. And so I, I, I pray that we all realize that we are the very means in which God intends to impart that grace to all that are called together as the bridge Montrose. So as, as a people, we're all called to, to, to proclaim the gospel. We're also called to be a part of building each other up. So as we think about this, we want to we we kind of adopt these postures of, of considering others higher than yourselves. We want to we be disciplined to pursue kind of putting each, other, each other's interests higher than your own. You want to do the work of knowing each other and being known by one another, taking the risk of putting yourself out there, taking the risk of stepping in to the awkward and initiating relationships. And we know that that's really easy for some who are who are extroverted and codependent on relationships, right? That's me. Like, and it's really difficult for others who, who the thought of just striking up some small talk conversation is like nails on the chalkboard and it's terrifying. And so we, we see that this goes deeper than personality. It's part of the, the gifting and the call of Christ 
in your life. And so just that we would all work towards that. And the question that, that we should be kind of pursuing and asking is not just this constant, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I, you know, am, am, I, am, am I healthy? Am I cared for? Am, am I, and how's my energy level? But it's rather we, we're more consumed with asking, how am I doing at caring for those God has put in my life? And that's, that's the church, that, that we are called to be a mutual encouragement to one another as we pursue the Lord and, and commit to the call of Christ. So, again, just kind of moving through in broad strokes, Paul continues, Romans 1, 13-15, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been pre- prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. That's just Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. Um, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So I want to see this mandate on Paul's life and his priorities that come from it. So so why has Paul not been able to to go to Rome yet? You see him speaking of this desire. Why is he not... why has he not been able to? Because we see in some of his other letters, this has happened as well. We see in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So we see there in, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica that he wanted to come, but he was prevented kind of by Satan's interruption, by his intervention and in in, in kind of active work of preventing the, the work of, of, of the gospel through Paul's ministry. But I, that doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems that Paul is prevented because, because of a purpose of his life and the leading of God to do the work given him. Look at later in Romans, Romans 15, 22-25. says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. It says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So we just see, like, Paul's life. He, he, has, he has, like, personal will and desire like he has affections that he wants he wants to go and spend time with them for for many years he's wanted to but for many years he's been prevented because of the work that he's had to do he says but now since i have but now since i no longer have any room for work in these regions meaning that like hey there's there's churches raised up there's elders in these churches leading there's people making disciples like it's it's happened not yes not every person has heard the gospel but yet there's churches in place in these places that i've been that I've been serving and leading, I feel freed up to go, so I hope to come. But just so you know, I still feel a different mandate in Spain, and so I'm going to hopefully make a pit stop for you on my way to Spain, which is where I feel like God is compelling me to go next. So what's the point? Paul had a sincere desire, but he realized that his life did not belong to him. These desires weren't bad. I mean, what a great thing to want to go and encourage someone who needs encouraging to, to, to be with someone that you love. So it's not that the desires were bad. It's just that he, his life wasn't his. He had a purpose that derived from somewhere else other than just what he wanted. And as we see, as you read through this letter, as we go, you're going to see that that's Paul's greatest satisfaction. That's his greatest hope. That's his greatest joy is to be in the will of God. So if you, if you are a Christ follower, is this how you live your life? If you're not, we invite you, and I just say, 
beware. Part of surrendering is saying my life is not my own. And that's something to consider. Um, but, but if you are, is this how you live your life? You know, as the bridge, as, as people, we talk about that we're people called together, this idea of para kaleo, called together, or together called. And that we, as God in His, in his wisdom and in His purpose, have, have knit us together in this place and this time for this vision and mission. Like, and, and so, and it's not just about the bridge, but it's about the, the kingdom call of God. And as a Christ follower, is this how you live your life? We're not here to build our own comfortable, comfortable kingdom or, or a safe little club. Like We want this to be a safe place for anyone to come just as they are. We want this to be a safe place to ask questions. We want this to be a safe place to doubt and to hurt and to heal. But this is not about, God has not called us and has not given us this community so that we can just be comfortable and not be challenged and surround ourselves with people that agree with us all the time and just are just like us. Like, that's not our calling. And we have this, this different mandate on our lives that it's not ours. We, we've said it before, but I, I pray that the bridge is, is at the same time not a safe place for you. I do pray it's safe in those other things we were just talking about, but I pray that it's not safe in the fact that any moment as a result of being in fellowship together, pursuing the truth of God, that your life could be kind of turned upside down. That you could be wrecked. That as we think about what we do as a people called together, that, that you would possibly, again, just that, that you would see that for the sake of the glory of God and for one another, like that we, we just kind of say yes to whatever. And if that means like, you know, we do small groups and, and like it's really nice to be with people for a long time and we can start to kind of grip tight after a while. And if it means like for the sake of reaching another neighborhood that we break up our small group to go and be a, a kind of a, a place of, of love and light of Christ in that neighborhood that we, would, that we would gladly do so, that we would be having to say, no, you need to stay here. You need to like that there would be that kind of that selfless mentality. We are in Christ, we are sent as he, as he prayed in John 17, as you sent me, I send them. We are always sent. And so that it's this idea, kind of this blank check, this open-handed life. And I pray that our, our time together would just result in that kind of posture and that kind of life. I mean, all that we have been given is to the reach the world for Christ and to equip the church for kingdom work. The job that you have is for that reason and no other. The job that you don't have is for that reason and no other. The relationship that you're in, whether you're married or dating, the relationship you're not in, is so that you could be right where you are to be a light for Christ and to, and to equip and to proclaim the gospel. The abilities, the hobbies, just the interest, all of that. There is nothing that you have is not for that purpose. There is nothing that we have as a people, as a community, that is not for that purpose. I pray, I pray that there is nothing that we do that is not for that purpose. And so just with open hands and humble hearts, let us live as Paul. And just to know that our life is not our own. It was bought with a price, with the blood of Christ, and it's His. And it's our joy. So with this in mind, Paul now gives us the thesis of his entire letter. 
Romans 1, 16-17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul started verse 16 with saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would Paul say this? Why would Paul say, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed? So first, there's the message of the gospel that would compel Paul to say this. Because who was Paul? Remember, once again, Paul was the teacher of all teachers, the Pharisees, all the Pharisees. He was a scholar, and he was a scholar for the Jews. The Jews had been waiting for an earthly king and a deliverer. This is what their expectation was, and they expected a king They expected the king to come with signs of that majesty, of that power, and of that rule. But how did Jesus come? He came humble. He came as a baby. He came in a manger, like in in just in a nowhere place, in a nowhere structure, to nowhere parents, to nobody parents. And so first off, just the message to the Jews is foolishness. It's like, you're you're an idiot. Like, this is dumb. You're you're throwing it all away for some, some really sad version and fairy tale of what the great hope that we've been holding to our whole lives. They expected their Messiah to come in honor and power, but he came in meekness and humility. For the Gentile or the Greek, it was little, it was little more than archaic superstition. They prided themselves on their intellect and their philosophy and their ability to reason, and all of a sudden to have to turn that over to somebody else as their authority, to have to turn over your security and your your, your understanding to say that, oh, wait, I'm not the greatest authority in my life. This was kind of the, the sneering idea of the Gentile. They were free and there was no bounds on them. And all of a sudden you're telling me to give up the freedom I have to say that my life belongs to another. And so, so that, that would have been something Paul was ridiculed for because he was, he, was, he, was, he was preaching to the Jew and the Greek, the Gentile. Second, there's his experience. Again, part of the reason for this letter uh, Paul, Paul is writing is, is to bring, uh, kind of the, to bring the, the, the Jew and the Gentile together. But his experience as he was coming, Paul had been beaten. He had been chased out of towns. He had been stoned for his message and left for dead. This is not something, like, we, we, I think we can kind of disassociate ourselves from the humanity of the people in, in Scripture. That would easily be a source of shame. Easily be a source of, of your, your conscience being attacked. Your identity being questioned. Again, Paul was one of the most influential teachers, and now he is, he is derided and, and dismissed. His reputation was tarnished. But Paul was not ashamed. He was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. In our world today, it is getting more and more difficult to proclaim the truths of Scripture. It's getting more and more difficult to say that there is a sovereign ruler, God, and to say that He gave his truth and absolute truth and to to say that that we believe in faith as we have reasoned and as we have studied we've been brought to this place of faith where 
where our understanding has met its limit and we cannot attain to the infinite truths of God, but in His work, He has brought us to a place of surrender. It is getting harder and harder to be that person without being dismissed. It's getting harder and harder to proclaim a truth without being, without being called you know, a, a bigot or judgmental or a fundamentalist. You know, and, and, and granted, some have earned those titles, but, but knowing kind of this... It's getting harder in our culture, and, and we, and I think this idea of I am not ashamed, I think it's closer to home than we think. And so I just want to encourage all of us to be prayerful, I'm, you know, kind of asking just, is there any aspect of you that's ashamed? Is there any aspect of the claims of Christ that, that you shy away from? And if you find any of that in you, I, I'm not going to tell you, we'll stop being ashamed. That doesn't really work. I mean, you probably, when you feel the shame, you probably, bless you, you feel the shame probably, right? When you feel the shame, you probably feel the shame. If, if Christ is in you, if the Holy Spirit's in you, it, it probably stings a little. So, I, you know, telling you to just stop being ashamed, probably not going to do it for you. It doesn't do it for me when I just try to muscle up. So what I am going to tell you is this. Focus on the beauty of our God exhibited in the work of Jesus. Focus on what, it was, what was accomplished in Christ. Focus on what your need was, what your need is. And as you see next week, we get to the need real fast. Uh, next week is, is when Paul starts laying out the, the, the wrath, our, our, our lacking of righteousness and the wrath due us, our sin. He points to the need. And so focus on our great need and God's great love. Let the the unashamed be a fruit. Let it be a product of that. Hear the invitation of great love. Is God saying, hey, just, just come to me. All who are weary, come to me and ask. Come to me honestly and, just, and I will reveal myself to you and in, and in my knowledge is your strength. So the shame that could cause us to shrink back only comes from there being something more precious to us than the grace of God given to us in Christ. So here's the beauty that surpasses any other offering of this world. And I hope that this is what gets your attention today. I hope this is what piques your interest and, and draws you in and fuels your pursuit and your fire moving forward. These verses lay out the nature of the salvation we receive in Christ. And in doing that, they lay out the nature of the gospel itself. What is the gospel? And Paul proclaiming this gospel, he's blowing up all kinds of pre previously held understandings with this teaching. The gospel is, is the message. The gospel is the message. Jesus is the message. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the gospel, that we're that's what we're talking about. The proclamation of the completed, the, 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 the completed work of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, it is, when he says, it is the power of God for salvation, he's saying that it is. To say it is is to say the work Jesus accomplished. And so the word power here, the power of God for salvation, the word power is this word, it's this idea of the efficacy for salvation. It's the, the only effective means of our salvation is the one in which God provided 
in Christ. So it's not just this like over, over, you know, dominating, overpowering force. It is saying that the only effective means for salvation that we have as God's creation called to his standard of righteousness is in his son, the work that he did. So it is his work that he accomplished in Christ that we can be saved. So the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. When we think about what was the power for salvation in the audience that Paul was teaching to, it was first for the Jew, it was their righteousness achieved by works. They had a code in which they were to live and they were to attain to it and that they, and they could be standing in right standing. For the Gentile, what mattered most was their own philosophy and intellect, as we said, so they could reason themselves to security. And so once again, Paul is just saying, no, 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 none of that. It is not your work. It is the work of Christ. And I pray that that's a comfort for you. And we're going to dig into this a lot throughout Romans, but I pray that that's a comfort to you. It's, it seems terrifying to think that it, it would be out of our hands because we just think too highly of ourselves sometimes. But man, what a gift that the very God that requires this, this measure, requires this, this righteousness, is the one who met that need in Christ. Just wait till we get to Romans 3. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. But it's the idea that it is not by our hands. So that's the first thing that Paul blows up, that salvation is by God alone and Christ alone, by his hands, by his work, as we believe. And so, so first we see the gospel is the work of God and God alone for salvation. Praise God. So what are the ways you seek to find redemption, belonging, and peace, and hope? Chew on that. Pray on that. Think, ask yourself and be honest. And I want to encourage you to start reading through Romans on a loop as we're together in this. Just read through Romans as, as kind of as much as, you can, as much as you can hold on to each day. And kind of read and, until you're kind of blanking out and then spend some time reflecting and praying and, and start, and start uh, that process. But ask yourself, where do you seek redemption? Where do you find belonging? What is your peace? What are your hope? Uh, that is not in Christ. So next we see that Paul says that salvation is for all who believe, all. And so again, this is the next thing Paul is, is blowing up, that it's not just for the Jew, but it's for all because Christ has come and brought a new covenant where all have access because of the work that he has done. And if any of that sounds like jargon or gibberish, please keep coming back. The, again, I know those are kind of general summary statements for us, but this is what we're going to be unpacking through Romans. This is what Paul is setting up for us, that it is for all, not just for one nation, but for all because Christ came for all. So for us, we have to remember, first off, just for our own conscience, there is no other prerequisite or requirement other than to come to Christ, to acknowledge that He is our Savior. He is the one who satisfies God's God's wrath on us, God's punishment, that we all deserve death, but he has restored us. He took on our punishment. He gave us his life and righteousness. So there's no other prerequisite requirement other than belief, as it says. And also, we cannot profess Christ and then live in such a way that makes God's saving work unavailable to anyone or any group. Hear that again. We cannot profess Christ and then live in such a way that makes God's saving work unavailable to anyone or any group. If as you kind of do some soul searching, if you see any of this in you, that all of a sudden you kind of see yourself distancing from some certain group of people or some person, or you see yourself kind of withholding, I want to challenge you to consider this. Do you have religion or do you, have you experienced the grace of God in Christ, the gospel? 
E. Stanley Jones says this. He says, Religion, Religions are man's search for God. The gospel is God's search for man. There are many religions, but one gospel. So here's the truth of the glorious message, the gospel of Jesus. So hear this. God loves us so much that he accepts each of us just as we are. But in his great love, he will never leave any of us where we are, where he finds us. So the door is wide, but yet God takes us and changes us and transforms us into his likeness. So have you trusted Jesus today? And this is not some superstitious ask Jesus into your heart kind of thing. This is, have you recognized that you have a need that you cannot satisfy? And Because we have a holy God who created all things and gave us what is good and all truth, that he is the one who gets to say how we are redeemed, and he gave it in Christ. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior for eternity and for hope and life today? Do you trust the completed work of Christ for your daily sustaining and transformation? Is it a marvel to you every day that because of what Jesus did, you are saved? Because of what Jesus did, you can be redeemed. Verse 17 says, In the gospel, which is the work of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed by those who live by faith. It is achieved by faith and lived out every day because of faith. The righteousness of God is the very evidence of God's redeeming work because there's no other way for it to manifest in our lives. Paul is saying that Jesus is the way in which we are saved, and he's also saying that the way in which we meet and live out God's righteous requirement through the gospel as well. So I pray that we run full speed into the beauty of God's salvation today and forever. We recognize that that's in Christ alone and that it results in a life that is free, that is courageous, that is selfless, and that is not our own. There's this this writing, this piece that I've heard many times throughout my life in the church. It's, It's been titled The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I think it was possibly written by a guy named Bob Moorhead. But I want to close with reading it today, praying that we as a people who are called together in Christ would somehow embody this in our lives in kingdom ministry together. So we hear this profession as a, as a profession of identity, of the very nature of who we are in Christ. So it'll be on the screen. You can read along with me. It says this, <clears throat> I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, learn by faith, Love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. 
My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes." So God, I pray that that would be our confession. I pray for those in here that, that maybe don't know Christ, that maybe don't know if they believe this, Lord, that there would be something comforting, something compelling, something penetrating about that confession, and it wouldn't be just some draw to some dogma, some, some way of life for a group, but that it would be, Lord, of an invitation, Lord, to, to a freedom, Lord, an invitation to a belonging, an invitation to a purpose greater than our own, and to know that when we live out your will as you created us, that that is the greatest satisfaction satisfaction any of us could pursue. So God, I pray that the temporal things of this world would come up empty. I pray that they would be shown for what they are, Lord, that you created all things good and love, and Lord, they are meant to be enjoyed. But Lord, with grateful hearts, Lord, with motives for your purpose and your glory, God, I pray for those in here that have called on Christ as Savior, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the continued work of the gospel in our lives, Lord, that we would have, Lord, an eternal hope that, that, that helps us to be unshaken, Lord, an eternal hope that helps us to be brave and courageous, Lord, an eternal hope, Lord, that, that, that leads us to, to a life, Lord, of purpose, and Lord, also, Lord, a present hope, Lord, that sustains us, a present hope that calls us beyond ourselves. Lord, concerned just how, with how we are and how we are satisfied, but Lord, that we would have eyes out. As Jesus came to meet our need, he entered into our mess, into our filth, into our death, and took it on himself. And Lord, if there is any part of us that thinks that, was, that he should have and that we deserve that, I pray that you would adjust our hearts right now. I pray that you would humble us, God. I pray that you would, again, let, let us see the beauty of your love the, the be and the intentionality of how you created, and Lord, in, in the, the, the destruction and, and audacity of our sin. And Lord, that in that, our hearts and our lives would be turned to you and inclined to you. So God, I pray that our mouths and our lives would proclaim we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And Lord, as we come to you in faith, we will live by faith. And Lord, we would revel at the opportunity for your righteousness to shine in our lives. To know that in that, your glory shines. And Lord, that it is your glory that draws all to you. So Lord, we love you. Or as we continue in communion, God, let us respond well. Let us remember well the work of Christ and adopt a posture of everyday life or that is grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.